a Bible, you can follow along on screen. You can turn on the app. Um, all the scriptures on there. When you came in, you got a bulletin. Inside, there's an outline. All of our Bible verses are on that as well. Um, we are in week number five, and I'm pretty sure this is the last week. I could change my mind tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, but we're week number five of a series called From Wounds to Wins. And we've been talking about the healing that can take place in our lives through Jesus. A um, very quick review. I told you in week one that healing is a process. And we need to understand that God really, 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 really does want to bring healing into our lives. Week number two, we talked about how a friend loves at all times. And, and just, like, um, just like we would trust a, a great friend um, with information or to be there for us, Jesus calls us friends. And so we need to trust him in the healing process. Week number three, Chelsea was up here and she told us that because of Jesus, there's always a message in our mess, no matter what mess we find ourselves in, um, Jesus is going to bring about healing in that. Um, last week, I told you that healing is messy, and I challenged you with three questions. I asked you, who do I need to bring to Central? Now, now that, that wasn't a who do I need to invite, who do I need to tell about question. It was, it was who do I need to bring? Because if we are really going to be a church where we create an atmosphere where change can take place and purpose can come alive, and we believe that healing comes through Jesus, and, and we believe that no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what's been done to you, or when it happened, that you can meet Jesus here. If we, if we truly believe that, and we truly buy into that, and we truly work towards that goal, that, then we should want to bring people to a place where healing can happen. We, we should want to bring people to a place where change can happen in their lives because of Jesus. And so I asked you, who do I need to bring? And then we talked about what work does Jesus want to do in me? Is there, is there something in me that Jesus wants to do? And I said, sometimes he needs to pull you away from, from the mess that's around you and so that he can, he can begin to do a work in you. And so what does Jesus need to do in me? What work does Jesus want to do in me? And then number three, I said, is there an area where you're settling? And so I pray that over the course of the past week, you've worked through those questions. Who do I need to bring? What work does Jesus want to do in me? And is there an area where I'm settling? Uh, today, we're going to start out the same way as last week, because one of the things I love to do is start off on common ground. I love to get us and talk about where we're common at, because enough people in the world point out the differences that we have, right? Like, there are all kinds of differences when it comes to, like, football teams or political preferences or wh whatever. But all of us have some things in common as well. And one of the things that we have in common, just about every single person in this room, doesn't matter where you are economically, socially, doesn't matter Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter if you're agnostic or atheist, doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Everybody in this room, at least one time in your life, you have prayed. Now, I know what you're thinking, oh, no, pastor, oh, no, atheists pray. They do. I remember one time talking to a guy on the phone, and we were sort of friends. Um, he, we, he, he, um, he didn't come to the church. I was um, I was working at, but he knew that I worked in a church, um, and he was an atheist. He called me and, um, late at night because his wife had overdosed on heroin, and he said, I don't know about all this God stuff or all this Jesus stuff, but I have prayed more in the past hour than I have ever prayed in my whole, and, and so we all have that in common, right? I mean, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we have all prayed. We pray when we get in trouble. We pray when we want something. God, help me get this job. God, help me get another job. God, help me to lose my job. God, let him ask me out. God, don't let him ask me out. Oh, dear God, help him to run away. Please, God, have somebody run him over with a car. Like, like we all like have prayed different prayers at certain times. 
Now, we learn prayers at a young age, and these prayers really don't do anything for us except teach us how to pray. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like one of the first prayers we ever learned to pray is the mealtime prayer, right? God is great. God is good. By his hand we shall be fed. Give us, Lord, this daily bread. Amen. Right? That, that's our introduction to prayer and hip-hop at the same time because they rhyme, right? So, something really cool to do next time that you're at a family function and they ask you to pray, because I don't know if you're like me or not, but like, like my family, they ain't prayed in 15 years, but if I show up for a meal, they want me to pray for it, like it's holy or something. I don't know, but if you're like that and, and, and you go somewhere and they ask you to pray, drop that one on them, except, except be real like righteous and holy when you do it. Be like, God is great. God is good. By his hand, we shall be fed. Give us, Lord, all daily bread. Chicka, 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 chicka. And just kind of drop that and just kind of look around and see what they do. And that'd be great. Listen, that prayer didn't change anybody, right? I mean, it doesn't. Like, nobody in this room has ever said, you know, in my personal time with Jesus, I was praying one day, and I said, oh, God is good, and God is great, and thank you for this food. And I just lost it. I just felt completely apart. I was just so broken. Listen, listen, listen. I'm not saying it's bad to teach your kids. Like, like it, it, it's great to teach kids prayer. But prayer is one of the things that can bring about the healing in our lives that we've been talking about the past several weeks. Prayer brings about change in our lives. Now, the second prayer that we have prayed is the bedtime prayer. And, and if you think about this from a logical perspective, this is the most jacked-up prayer you could ever teach your kid. L- let's do it together. Now I lay me down to... I pray the Lord my soul to, if I should, before I, I pray the Lord my, to, if I should die, like legit, you're going to say that to your kid before you put them to bed. If I die, before I wake, I pray the Lord. My soul to take. <laughs> and we wonder why they have nightmares and pee the bed, right? And once again, that prayer is effective in that it teaches us to pray and rhyme and all that stuff. But I've never met anyone that went, oh, that prayer, you know, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. I, it changed me. It completely changed my entire life. Now, now, maybe you're the exception. Cool. If you are, awesome. Come and tell me so I could change that illustration and never use it again. But, but here's the thing, and don't miss this. One of the reasons we have prayer, um, like, like a lot of times we, we pray because we think we're, we're going to change God or we're going to change God's mind or whatever. But one of the main reasons prayer was given to us was not for us to change God, but for God to change us because God changes us when we pray. He really does. And so today I want to teach you a prayer. It's not very long. Um, If you've been around for any amount of time at Central, you've heard me teach this before. I've taught it in the past. But today, I'm going to give you an assignment, and I want you to pray this prayer for a week. After a week, um, I guess you can stop or whatever. We're going to put it on social media. Um, We're going to talk about it at Egg Stuffing Stuff. We'll remind you all week long through Facebook and email and Snapface and all that other stuff. Um, But the reason we're pushing this prayer is because I believe that this prayer, if you pray it, and you really mean it, it's going to jack you up. In, in, in fact, some of you won't even make it through the week. You're going to make it a day or two, and it's just going to completely mess with you. It's going to affect you that much. I know this from personal conviction and experience, because for me, every time I pray this prayer, 
it just wrecks me. It, it just does. It, it just messes with me bad, and it will you too. Here's the prayer. That's all I'm asking you to pray this week. Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people. That's simple, right? Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people. Now, that sounds simple. That right there will mess you up. The reason it will mess you up is because that right there, that'll change the way you see your enemies. That'll change the way that you see the person at work. That'll change the way that you see the person you don't like at school. That'll change the way you see your server at lunch today. That'll change the way that you see the person you argued with on your way to church this morning. Like that prayer right there, Jesus teach me to see people as you see people, is going to change the way you view the person who hurt you, the person who gossiped about you, the person who betrayed you. It's going to change the way you see the person who abandoned you. Jesus teach me to see people as you see people. That's going to change the way you view the person or the people who have caused some of the wounds that you're carrying with you today. It's going to change a lot of things when we begin to pray, Jesus, teach me to see people the way you see people. I'm telling you, that prayer, that prayer right there, as simple as it is, Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people. When you pray it and you mean it, that can heal up some of the wounds that you have in your life that are caused by other people. Now, where I get that from is from a story that if you're from a church background is very familiar. Even if, you, even if you're not from a church background, you have heard about this story before. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, what's crazy about the Good Samaritan is that during, during Jesus' day, you wouldn't have put those two words together, good and Samaritan. Like, they don't go together. Like, you wouldn't say good Samaritan. That's like, a, like an oxymoron. It's like saying jumbo shrimp or huge midgets or peaceful protests or whatever. Like, they don't go together, all right? And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, we've got to talk about this because this is a problem. An expert in the law was an accomplished person. In, in this day and age, if you were an expert in the law, that had, meant you had the Old Testament memorized, the entire thing memorized. Everybody say memorized. Memorized. Now, I've got like a couple of verses memorized. I got like some, some sections of scripture memorized. I've got some song lyrics memorized. I've got some movie lines memorized. I've got some inappropriate jokes <laughs> memorized. I do not have the Old Testament memorized. Anybody got that? Anybody here got the Old Testament memorized? Because I'm going to sit down and you come up here and preach because you, you will haunt it. This guy had the Old Testament memorized. He was incredibly accomplished. And one of the things I've learned in life is that sometimes accomplishment can lead to arrogance. You, you, you ever seen that? H have you? Well, that shows itself right here in this text. Because this guy thought he was so awesome that he could test Jesus. Can you imagine that? And so he stands up to test Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now look at that and, and see this right here. Like this guy, he wasn't worried about anybody else. He's only worried about himself. Do, do you see that in this text? Hey, Jesus, what must I do? Hey, man, what do, what do I need to do? What about me? Hey, who cares about any of these other fools around me? Jesus, what must I do? And, and listen, I'm not blaming him because we're all selfish, right? Aren't we all just a little bit selfish? Aren't we all? Like I've, I've told you before, and some of you know this about me. When it comes to dessert, I'm selfish. I will not share with you 
And if you think that I'm going to share with you and you reach across and you take a little bite, you have stolen from me. You are now a thief and you have sinned against me and you need to repent before Jesus. Like, 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 like people have asked me before. People, and, and some of you are sitting in here right now and, and I, I love you, I do. But, but you've come up to me and you have asked me. And, and, and in some ways it's kind of angry and it's judgmental. Do you, do you really... Do you really not share dessert with your wife? Do you, do you really not? I mean, it's Mary. Do you really not share your dessert with her? No! If she wants some, she's a big girl. She knows how to order it. She can order her own. But she just wants a bite. Then she can take it home with her, and I'll finish it later. Selfish. I'm a little bit selfish. We all know what it's like to be selfish, right? So this guy's being a little bit selfish. He wants to know, and he asks a legit question. Hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I don't care about anybody else. Tell me what I need to do. And Jesus, now here's the thing about Jesus. This got on people's nerves. Jesus hardly ever straight up answered a question. Anytime somebody asked Jesus a question, he would do one of two things. He would either ask a question back or he would tell a story. And when he told a story, every time he started telling it, people would be like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Four chapters later, we're going to need you to explain it to us and blah, blah, blah. That, that's just what he did. And so right here, he starts out, the guy asked the question, and Jesus asked the question back. Verse 26, what is written in the law? Because he, he's talking to an expert, right? And so he just throws it back at him. I don't, wait, what's the law say? Like, like how, do you, how do you read it? What, what do you think it says? What is written in the law, he replied. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's a good answer because he had probably heard Jesus at some point teach on this because Jesus had taught it on this on a couple of occasions. And so Jesus talks back to him. He's like, hey, you've answered correctly, which is what we all want to hear from Jesus, right? Ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. Like we want Jesus to tell us, yes, you've got the question right. You are awesome. And that's what Jesus says. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And, and this is where we get in trouble. We want to justify ourselves. We want to make excuses for why we're doing what we're doing or why we're not doing what we're doing. And we want to say, this is the way that I am. And this is the, and we, we go through all of these things. And so he asked the question, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that's a great question. And you would expect Jesus to just answer, well, the person that lives next to you, the person that lives across the street, the person who's three houses down, anybody, anybody on your block, like that's your neighbor. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tells a story. And in this story, he talks about where I get this prayer, um, the idea of where I get this prayer, of what, what I shared earlier. Verse 30 starts out like this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this verse right here is incredibly loaded. I've got about seven messages I can preach out of this right here. Um, I'm going to go through very quickly, as quickly as I can, the idea that I want you to walk away with today. So Jesus says, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, during the time, of, even today, not just during the time of Jesus, um, there's basically one road that led from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's very steep. Jerusalem was really high, Jericho's down low, kind of like by the Dead Sea. And so you had to go down. It's a geographical thing. I've heard preachers preach on this, and they try to make it a spiritual thing. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a geographical thing. It's like saying there was a man who drove down from Carroll to Creston. Like that's downward, geographically, right? 
but, but on the side of this road, all right, or is at a spot in this road, it's very steep, and, and there's a section where people took breaks because it just kind of leveled off. So it kind of went down, levels off a little bit, drops back down, and, and all of that. And so with the flattened out spot was a place um, where it was very common for robberies and bad things to happen. And so when Jesus is telling this story, he's basically talking about the bad part of town, right? That, that's what he's saying. Now, we all understand bad parts of town, right? Every town in the planet has a bad part of town. I'm sure there's a bad part of town in Carroll. There's a bad part of town in Creston. There's probably a bad part of town in Denison. doesn't matter. We understand bad parts of town, yes or no? Yes. This guy is on a journey. He's traveling down, and he winds up in a bad place. And by the way, uh, we've all wound up in bad places, right? Whether we intentionally choose to go there or whether we accidentally got there yes or no we have all been in bad places yes we all understand that and jesus said this guy went to a bad place got to a bad spot and he was attacked by robbers now i believe that there are attacks going on today i believe in spiritual warfare i really do we did an entire series on it at this time last year it's called battleground you can go back online and you can listen to it i believe in spiritual warfare I believe most of the, t- uh, the attacks that we undergo are emotional and spiritual. Do physical attacks happen? Yes. And, and listen, I, I've seen some of that. I've experienced with some of that. I don't talk a whole lot about that. Because listen, let's you in on a little Pastor Ryan secret. If something weird is going on in your house, like spiritually, I'm not the guy to call. Because that stuff freaks me out. Like, 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 if you call me to come over because you want me to talk to your daughter because your daughter is having some problems, and I walk in, and your daughter's head spins completely around, and she throws up and throws me against the wall, and then starts crawling across the ceiling, I'm out. I'm going to tell you, hey, call some other church, man. Central probably not your place. I'm not that guy. Like, that stuff, like, freaks me out. I believe, though, that there are some people at, at, on, the, on the physical level, emotionally and spiritually, but that, that, that's how you feel. You feel beat down. Emotionally and spiritually, like you feel like, you feel like somebody has stripped you, somebody has beat you and walked away from you, leaving you half dead. I mean, that's real. I know what that's like. You know what that's like. There are some people kind of even wondering, like, like I, I don't even know how I'm going to make it through what I've been through because of what I've gone through, right? Because here's the thing. The enemy ultimately wants to strip you of your self-worth. The enemy wants to strip you of your identity. The, the enemy wants to strip you of the belief that you are loved by God. He wants to strip us of all of that. He wants to walk away, leaving us half dead. I, I was listening to this podcast this week, and they said something, and, and it's just like, they were talking about winning and losing. That's what the podcast was about. And have you ever, like, listened to somebody, they tried to sound smart, but what they said just wasn't true? Like, they were talking about fighting, like, like actual physical fist fighting. And, um, again, it was winning and losing. As one guy goes, oh, actually, nobody ever wins a fight. That, that's simply not true, right? You ever been, how many of you ever been in a fist fight? Like, that, th- there's a clear winner and a loser, right? I've been in some of those. I've been on the giving end, and I've been on the receiving end. And I agree with Jesus on this one. It's more blessed to give than to receive when it comes to a butt whooping. Yes or no? <laughs> Only the guy, that girl never answers that, ever. <laughs> but some people, 
Like you feel like this. You, you feel like, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm winning or losing because physically I am worn out. And so with this guy, like, like a lot of people will look at a story like this and unfortunately will make judgment calls based on surface level stuff. They'll look at a story like this of, of a guy that went through a situation like this who's, who's laying naked, bleeding, half dead, and say something like, well, he shouldn't have been there. He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He wouldn't have been there. And he had the right people with him. They would have been able to protect him. Stop. We don't know why he was there. We have no idea why he was there. Isn't it easy to make judgment calls when we don't know the whole situation? Isn't it easy? The, the answer is yes. Let, let, let me give you a, a situation. Say I told you, hey, there was a guy that got beat up last night behind the strip club because he was trying to grab one of the girls and force her into his car, and now he's in the hospital, and he's fighting for his life. Everybody in here will go, <laughs> he deserved it. Shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been doing that, right? All of us are going to say that. But what if I told you that that guy was a father, that girl was his daughter, he was trying to rescue her from human trafficking? That changes your opinion, doesn't it? Changes your perspective, like, like context and perspective. That's everything. So we don't know why this guy's on the road. That's why, listen, we've got to be very, 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 very careful what we say about people when they're going through tough times. Because like, one of the things people will say is, well, I guess he had it coming. I told him not to go down that road. Shouldn't have been going down that road. He got what he deserved. At the end of the day, do any of us really want what we deserve? No, none of us. See, here's the thing about seeing people like Jesus sees people. It takes these thoughts and these phrases out of our vocabulary. When we begin to say these phrases, it's from like a, a judgmental attitude. But when somebody is, is beaten, stripped, bleeding, left half dead, they don't need an evaluation. They need some participation in their lives, yes or no? Yes. And, and, and Jesus, he, he keeps telling this story, and it gets fascinating. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. So, so think about this. You've got a guy, he's going along, he's going down, he gets beat up, right, attacked, left half dead. And a priest is on the same road. It is by God's grace that this guy came along before the priest. Because if this guy had not come along before the priest, then the priest is the one who is attacked. That's why it's really, 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 really important that we realize when we see somebody go through a tough time that we not make a judgment call, but rather we say, by God's grace, that's not me. D do you see that? Because you know it could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been us, right? By God's grace, that's not me. And so it says a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when Jesus said that, everybody in the crowd was like, oh, thank God, he's going to get some help. This is going to be awesome for that guy. Well, then look what Jesus says. And when he, talking about the priest, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Do you know there's a difference between being religious and godly? There really is. I used to be super religious. When I first became a Christian, I was like hyper religious. True story. I didn't go to R-rated movies, none. So, so I missed out on Gladiator and The Matrix. And like, don't worry, I went back and made up for all of it, all right? So, but but, but I, I didn't. I didn't go to R-rated movies, 
until the passion of the Christ came out, which is like seven or so years after I became a Christian. I didn't go until the passion of the Christ came out. And, and I saw all of these, all of like my religious leaders and, and my mentors and stuff going to see the passion of the Christ. I was like, oh, I guess you can go, Mary. If it's about Jesus, we can go to rated R movies. I, I didn't go. I didn't listen to secular music. None of it had to be Christian or I wouldn't listen to it. I was, man, I, was, I, could, I could tell you story after story after story. I was, I was hyper-religious. But here's the problem. I began to look at people through my filter of life. And so if you went to an R-rated movie or you went to a rock concert, I thought you were a complete pagan. I questioned whether or not you were really saved. That's what happens when people get religious instead of godly. This guy in the story, he was religious. I mean, he was a, he was a priest. And he's going down the road, and he made the decision, I'm not going to get messy. I'm not going to get dirty. And, 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 and to his credit, man, the guy could have been dead. And, and the priest wasn't allowed to touch dead people or he would have defiled himself. But he made a decision, I'm not going to get messy. So he crossed over on the other side. And he probably thought, I'll cross over to the other side and I'll pray for him. I'll pray for his family or whatever. You, you, you know what I've discovered? And I've discovered this because of me and, and what other people do too. But, but th- this is just a crack on me. This isn't really a crack on anybody else here. Sometimes we'll tell people, I'll pray for you so I don't have to deal with you. Don't we do that? Oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. That, that really means I'm trying to get in my truck as quickly as I can to avoid this conversation. Right? But you know what? L- listen, I'm not discounting prayer. I would never, ever, ever in a million years discount prayer. I believe prayer is awesome. I believe that we need to pray through for people who are going through a tough time. We should absolutely pray for people. I think sometimes when somebody's going through a tough time, that's all we can do. Um, I have a friend in India right now great friend. Um, he's going through an incredibly difficult time. Uh, we were talking the other day. I was trying to get him to come out here and spend some time out here with us. And, um, and he's like, I can't. Blah, blah, blah. I made these excuses. And I was like, you know what, then? All I can do is pray. I- I'm here anytime, but all I can do for you is pray. And this is the thing that I've discovered personally through what I've gone through and what I've kind of excused of other people um, in my own life when they're going through it and the excuses I've made. And it's this. Sometimes people need our presence more than they need our prayers. Do, do you understand that? Sometimes people just need our presence more than they need our prayers. Sometimes people need our presence more than they need anything that we could say to them. This guy is half dead beaten on the side of the road. He doesn't need prayer time. Now, I know somebody will say, well, God could have healed him miraculously. Yes, he could have. But you know what? Healing is usually a process, and it usually takes other people. And the priest, though he passed him by, I believe that he was so priestly that he prayed for him. Listen, I know Christians who will pray for you but will not talk to you. Think about that. You know those people too. You might be that person. Verse 32, so too a Levite, and when he said that, everyone's like, oh, yes, a Levite, this is going to be so cool. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
And when he said that, the crowd is shocked. See, the Levite was the person in charge of taking care of the temple. This was the person in charge of taking care of the church. He was always in the church. He was always cleaning the church, organizing the church. I mean, this, this is the person that was making sure that everybody was signing up for the egg drop or whatever, making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and all that stuff. If this person were in the church with a T-shirt with a picture on it, it would have been a picture of some hands formed into prayer or praying or whatever, and he'd been walking around going, I love God, I love God, I love God. But if that same person walked out of the church, they would have to change the picture on the T-shirt from folded hands to the middle finger. I'm not going to do it because I did it once years ago and it went all through YouTube. But you understand what it is. Because if you weren't in the church, they didn't care about you. you. You know anybody like that? Are you like that? Somebody's not at church, you don't care about them? L- l- listen, these are the people that cause me not to want to go to church for the longest time. L- l- let me tell you what I mean. Um, I spent a couple months after high school working um, at a restaurant. Anybody ever worked in the restaurant industry? I think everybody on the planet should have to work in the restaurant industry for a couple months just to learn how to deal with people and how to treat people. Because in the restaurant industry, those of you who raise your hand, you'll understand this. Christians are the worst, aren't they? Like like Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. Everybody knows I love, love, love Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. And people are always like, oh, they're so awesome. They're so godly. They're closed on Sunday. They just love Jesus. No! They're closed on Sunday, so they don't have to deal with Christians. That's absolutely why they're closed on Sunday. They can't say, my pleasure, on a Sunday, right? When I worked in the restaurant industry, there was this one, day, this one dude came into the restaurant every single Sunday after church. And he came in with his entire family, and all the boys had ties on, and little suits, and the girls had on dresses, and little bonnets, and, and he was the guy that, that could be nice and rude at the same time. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, one Sunday, he asked me, how do you feel about breaking the command of working on a Sunday? I'm like, how do you feel about coming into a place that makes me work on a Sunday, jerk? I, I didn't really say it like that. In my head, I said it exactly like that. But, but it, it's, it's the people that walk out of the church that are so rude to servers and the worst tippers. Anyway, another message for another time. But, 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 but here's the point. If we see people like Jesus sees people, we don't see a server. We see a single mom trying to make ends meet. When we see people as Jesus sees people, we don't see an idiot working at the drive-thru. We see a college kid who, if he wasn't working, wouldn't be able to to finish college and pay for schooling. When, when we begin to see people as Jesus sees people, it literally changes our hearts towards other people. Because, see, see, people think that we can fix people with, with just a phrase. You, you ever met these people? Like, th- these are some of the things that they'll say. I've said these things. You've said these things. But when we see people like Jesus sees people, we don't say these things in, in the moment, all right? Because this guy is on the ground, naked, bleeding out. And we'll walk up to him and we'll say, hey, you'll get over it. Hey, Fred, I see that you're naked on the ground. You're bleeding out. You know what? You're going to be just fine. You're going to be okay. You'll get over this. Tomorrow you'll be right as rain. Now, that could be true. But just because it's true doesn't mean it needs to be said. Right? You'll get over it is not a phrase that we need to say to people who are hurting in the moment. Or how about this one? Just be positive. Why you always got to be so negative? Now, I want to acknowledge that there are permanently negative people in the world. 
No matter what happens, they're just going to be negative. They can ruin anything. You walk outside, it's raining, they're like, oh, great, it's raining. You walk outside, and it's sunny, and they're like, oh, it's so hot. We need the rain. Like, no matter what happens, they're negative. Stop pointing. Stop looking at each other. Stop. stop some, over there, like, they're, stop. Like, we, we all understand there are those negative people. No matter what happens, they're going to be negative. But when someone is beaten, they're half dead, laying on the side of the road, it, it's not time for us to go up to them and be like, you know what? Just be positive. Take that frown, turn it upside down. Because they're laying there, and they're thinking, I'm going to take my foot, and I'm going to turn it upside down. In your, at least that's what I'm thinking. I'm not as far along as my walk with Jesus as some of you. But that's what I'm thinking. Because listen, it's a great thing to say. But if somebody is in pain in the moment, that doesn't fix them, right? The other one we say all the time is, I'll just say the good in everything. You say this, trust God. God works all things together for good. That, that, that's true. But you know that there's a time not to say that. You don't say that to somebody who's in the middle of the most painful situation of their entire life. It might be true, but it doesn't help. Listen, they're on the ground, naked, bleeding out, half dead. That does not help them. Ten years later, they can look back and they can see the good. But in the moment, we can't always see the good, can we? But, but we try to fix people with our phrases, and sometimes people need our presence more than they need our words because we can't fix people with our phrases. So what needs to happen? Well, Jesus goes on and keeps telling this story in verse 33. He says a Samaritan, and when he said that, everybody gasped because they hated Samaritans. The most unlikely hero in this entire story would be a Samaritan. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, now, pity, I'll be very clear. Pity is powerless to change the world. Pity is powerless to change the world. You know how I know? Because I have felt pity for people and done nothing for them. And so have you. Perfect example. If you're around my age, a little bit younger, um, you, you remember this commercial. The, the pet rescue video with the In the Arm of the Angel song. That song is great. But every time you hear it, you think about this video with the jacked up dog and a cat with 18 eyes. This one right here. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you remember this? Yeah. How many of you can't hear this song without thinking about that jacked up cat and all them weird eyes and all that? The first time I saw this, I'm like, man, that is awful. There it is right there. I don't even know what's going on with that thing. Like, that is awful. I felt pity in my heart for like five seconds. And then I realized... I have the remote control. I don't have to watch this. So I felt pity, but I didn't give them a dime. Sometimes, this is the point, sometimes we can see somebody going through a tough time and we can feel pity, but pity is powerless to change the world. Unless pity leads to some type of productivity, it is useless and it doesn't work. That's what I love about this story. Jesus talked about how the Samaritan felt, but then Jesus also shows us he went to him. He didn't just be like, oh, dang, man, you are jacked up. Hey, hey, listen, man, here's my number. Text me if you need anything. I'll be praying for you and cross over to the other side. Jesus said pity caused him to go to the man, and he bandaged his wounds. Don't, do, don't miss that. Dude got messy. He didn't care. He got messy. 
Too many Christians are scared to death of guilt by association. Oh, if I'm seen with that person, they'll think I'm one of those people. If I go to this place, they're going to think that that's what I do. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't have that attitude? I am. Jesus didn't care what people said about him. But too many people are consumed with what people think and say about them on a consistent basis. Probably another message for another time. Because think about this. Don't, don't miss this. Two people walked by him. They were religious, but they weren't godly. The Samaritan wasn't religious, but he was godly because he got involved in the guy's life. I don't have time to get into this this morning, but the Bible goes on to say he poured oil and wine on it. And, and, and this hurt, this cost him something. In other words, he was, he was willing to go through pain with somebody he didn't even know. And the reason why is because he saw the person like Jesus saw him. And then it says this, and he put the man on his own donkey. He was, in other words, he's willing to inconvenience himself. He's like, hey, this isn't about me. This guy's in a bad situation right here, and somebody has to step in and do something. And if I don't do it, who will? If, I, if it's not me, who's going to do it, right? You, you see that? Put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn. That's kind of like the hospital in those days where somebody got attacked or somebody needed healing. That's where they took him to. Brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. In other words, he made an investment into the guy's healing. He didn't just take him somewhere and drop him off. He took him somewhere, dropped him off, and said, hey, this is all I can do right now. But I'm going to circle back around. If there's anything else I can do, I'm going to step in and step up, and I'm going to do that too. Isn't that awesome? And then Jesus asked this question. He looked at the guy in verse 36, and he said, which of these three... Do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. I think that's huge. Couldn't even say the word Samaritan. So disgusted by it, he couldn't even say it. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so the prayer, once again, the prayer that I'm going to challenge you to pray this week is, Jesus, teach me to see people as you see people. But I'm going to warn you, the person that you've had a grudge with for a week, a month, or a year, the person who has hurt you some way, shape, form, or fashion is, is probably going to pop into your mind or maybe even possibly show up back into your life this week. But if you're praying this prayer right here, it's going to mess with you. Jesus, teach me to see him as you see him. Jesus, teach me to see her as you see her. Jesus, teach me to see my spouse as you see my spouse. Jesus, teach me to see the person I hate like you see the person that I hate. Now, I thought that was the end of the message until this week because um, as I was putting this together, something didn't just feel right. Like, I, I wanted to go a direction, and, and it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, but it kind of made sense. And so I was kind of putting things together, and, and, and it just, it was, the ending just, it just wasn't there. And I started thinking about, the, like, for most people, when it comes to church, we're taught to hide what we might be going through spiritually or emotionally but like if you're going through something physically like we understand that we, we, we can see that like this guy uh, naked bleeding left half dead on the side of the road like he, he, he couldn't hide that but we're taught in church if, if we're going through a tough time we'll talk about it let's just come in we'll just get our let's get our star on the wall and let, let's walk out you know we've had our worship time we've listened to the message let's let's not talk about what's really 
hurting us. Let's not talk about our wounds. When I started thinking about um, several years ago, I had this pain in my side. And I went to the doctor because it wouldn't go away. And they ran some tests, and, and he told me I had diverticulitis. And I was like, what's that? He said, that's not good, and you need to have surgery. Well, I was in the middle um, of like an, this magical season um, with Chloe's travel softball team. Like we were going to win state, we were going to go on to nationals, and we were this favorite, and all these websites had us like at the top of the top and all this stuff. And I was like, hey, I don't got time for surgery, man. I don't, I don't want that. Is, is there anything else I can do to avoid the surgery? And he's like, well, you know, there are a couple options. Like, what? He <laughs> give me one. I'll, I'll take it. He's like, well, you could take this medicine, and it, and it might help. And I'm like, I'll, I'll just do that. Like, don't even talk about nothing else. Just give me the medicine. So I started taking the medicine, and it didn't work. Like, legit, it wasn't helping. Like, I knew right away it wasn't helping. But every time I would see the doctor somewhere, because he was a friend of mine, so I'd see him out all over the place, he would ask me, how's the stomach? And I said, ah, you know, it's fine. It's cool, doc. <laughs> Hurts a little bit, but it's all right. And, and it, didn't, it, it didn't just hurt a little bit. It hurt a ton. And it got worse. And so finally I went back to him. I'm like, hey, man, you know, this is, this is a little worse than it was before, but I still don't want that surgery. Is there something else I can do? And he said, Ryan, you need to have surgery. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but is there anything else we can do? He's like, dude, you need to have surgery. I'm like, yeah, but is there something else that we can do to not have surgery? Like, I don't have time to have surgery, you know, got to preach, got to do this softball thing, got to see Jaira and his stuff. Like, I, I, just, ah, no, I just, I don't, I don't want surgery. He said, well, we can give you IV antibiotics and see if that clears it up. And so every day, I think for like three weeks, I went to the hospital twice a day for two hours, and they pumped IV antibiotics into me. Some of you remember you were around when this happened. I had like a, like a, a permanent like port that they like put in my arm. Like every few days, they would, they would change around a different location. But, but every day for two hours, twice a day, I went there, and they did that. I would do it before I came to preach on Sunday mornings. And it wasn't helping. It, it was horrible. But he would ask me, and I'd be like, oh, it's fine. It's cool, man. Ain't no big deal. Then one day, it was a junior high choir concert. And it just flared up and darn near exploded, and I had to have emergency surgery. And, and here's the thing. What, what could have been done, like with lasers, laparoscopically, however you say that, like, like what could have been done that way, I had to be opened all the way up. And what could have been like a few-day recovery time was a six-week recovery period. It was awful. And here's the thing. If I had just been honest up front, about how much I was really hurting, about what was really going on deep inside of me, it would have been no big deal. And I remember the doctor saying, you know what, Ryan? You're an idiot. You, you could have missed out on a lot of pain had you just acknowledged how much you were hurting from the start. And I've, I've never forgotten that. Listen, in this story, we talked about, you know, seeing people like Jesus sees people. And, and that sounds easy. And it sounds great, and it sounds incredibly, you know, godly and pastoral from this side of the pulpit. But maybe some of you are, are stuck in your mind with thoughts of, hey, it's really hard to see people like that when I feel like in the story, I'm the guy on the side of the road. I've been attacked. I'm bleeding out, and nobody sees me. Here's the thing I want you to understand before you leave. It's the title of the message, and, and it's this. Hiding never leads to healing. Hiding never leads to healing. 
And so if you walked in here today with something going on in your life, you're struggling with something spiritually, you're struggling with something emotionally, I, 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 want, you to, I want you to hear this, I want you to understand, I get it. I'm right there with you. I, I get it. I tried to hide what was going on in my own life. And you know what? It didn't go well. So don't just listen to my words. Watch what I've gone through and understand hiding doesn't lead to healing. But once you get it out, that's when Jesus can really begin to bring about healing in your life. Church, this should be a place where change takes place and purpose comes alive. And we understand that in the house of God, healing can begin.